You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, everybody. This is Brady Hoke. And if I know one thing, it's bad college football. That's why I'm here to tell you about the Shutdown Fullcast, a college football podcast so bad that it's mostly not even about football. Every Wednesday, you can listen to Spencer Hall, Jason Kirk, and Ryan Nanny ramble about grocery stores, John Gruden's secrets to everlasting wealth, and unsolved murders. The Shutdown Fullcast. We're very sorry. Hi, welcome back to the Limited Upside Podcast, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. And today's show was a good one. We decided to <laughs> talk about that free agent signing the Celtics just made with Gordon Hayward. And to do so, we brought on friend of the pod and Celtics fan, but national sports writer for Vice.com and Vice Sports. That is Michael Pina. Pina's always a great guest to have on, and he has a, a good way of being both a fan of a team, but also give you that national perspective as, as someone who leave, lives and, uh, and breathes the sport professionally. Um, Preda obviously was on the podcast too, and this is Ben. But before you do any of those things, like, I don't know, download or listen to that podcast, why don't you go and subscribe, rate, review, all those good things we always ask. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SBNation.com backslash MBA. Uh, we love getting questions. We love getting comments. Send those to us. Um, specifically, you can tweet at us. And I think the best way to do that would be at, at, lump, at limited underscore upside. You can also hit us up on our personal Twitter handles. That's at Mike Prada SBN and at EpiBen. Again, we love that feedback. We love the comments. The questions are always great. Probably aren't a lot of questions here. You just want to know what the F just happened. This free agency period has been crazy. This Hayward news yesterday was like a nine and a half hour rollout for what ended up being a 2,100 word essay on a site we will name another time. So check it out. Check out this podcast. Enjoy the, the sweet tones of Mike Pina, Mike Prada, and Ben Epstein here on the Limited Upside Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Limited Upside podcast. You may have already listened to the Indiana Pacers, Paul George reaction podcast we did. This is going to be a part two. So if you're listening to this clean, this is part one to you. And this is a Celtic-centric podcast with our good friend and friend of the pod, Mike Pina from Vice Sports, coming on to talk to Pina, uh, to Prada and I. I'll make How that many mistake. times do you, do you get that I'll wrong. make that mistake more than, more than I should. Um, to Mike We do this all the time. Mike Pina and Mike Prada. But Pina, thanks for joining us to, to kind of um, tackle this this awesome free agent signing uh, for the for the Boston Celtics. Of course, guys. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike. Yesterday, if... sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say yesterday was uh, very interesting. <laughs> from about uh, one o'clock until I sat down to start watching the fireworks, which was exactly <laughs> when he uh, sent out the Players Tribune Ugh. tweet. I had to leave a barbecue and run away to get on this. Now, real quick question before we get to the serious stuff. If you were penning a 2,100-word letter to a certain publication about your move to Vice Sports, what would your headline be? Would it be, thank you, Fox Sports? <laughs> would it be something else? <laughs> um, it would be like, finally, dot, dot, dot. Ooh. <laughs> 
the shade at previous employers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's actually pretty good. That would have been better. Um, that certainly would have left a lot more to the uh, suspense. Although, I got to say, thank you, Utah, is a very clickbaity headline because it makes you think that he actually stayed in Utah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, I don't know, it doesn't put him in one corner. It stayed neutral, which was the whole point of literally everything that he did yesterday was like, and whether or not it was a publishing snafu on uh, the Tribune side or or whatever, we could speculate for hours about the disinformation or the correct information that was leaked slowly yesterday. But I, my point on that whole Utah headline, though, is that the, the thesis of what he then writes is that he's trying to join back up with Brad Stevens for unfinished business. That's... The kind of the the coding of you the found the thing. thesis in the twenty one hundred yeah, words. It took me <laughs> ten times reading this. I know I, the whole dissertation. This is, uh, this is why he's a basketball player and not. Uh, if I were his editor, I would have had a lot of red lines through well, that. The, the point is though, it's not thank you Utah. It's unfinished business with Coach Stevens. That could have been the that have been the headline if I was a the, more uh, direct. Uh, yeah, anyway, yeah. we should probably talk yeah. about this signing. So. Gordon Hayward in Boston. I mean, the bit, the the first question I think that's worth asking is that like how much, and this is something that Ben and I have been arguing about since it happened. Like, how much better does this actually make the Celtics? Well, so we can't really answer that question until we know for sure what salaries they dump. Right, and, that's true. You know, uh, I, I'm personally of the belief that Bradley will be the odd man out just because uh, he's an unrestricted free agent after next season. Um, going to cost a ton of money. The Celtics have, you know, annually performed better when he's on the bench as opposed to on the floor when he was down uh, last season with an Achilles strain for a little over a month. They kind of didn't really skip a beat, had a top 10 offense, were fine. I know Bradley is, you know, incredibly valuable in the playoffs, particularly if you're trying to beat a team that has Kyrie Irving or Steph Curry. Um, but I just think financially it makes the most sense to let him go. And uh, I guess that's a long way of answering your question to say that I think they'll be better with Hayward for sure, just because, I, I mean, he, I just love everything about his game, the fit that he'll have in Boston in their offensive system. It's very similar to how he played in Utah. I think he'll get a lot more cleaner looks from behind the three-point line and at the rim. Um, and he'll probably attempt fewer mid-range jumpers, which was a big part of his game last season. Uh, the Celtics will play a lot faster than Utah did because their lineup lineups can be more flexible with assuming they keep Crowder, playing Crowder at the four, uh, really spacing the court out with uh, Horford, who is a three-point shooting big, whereas Gobert was really ineffective uh, outside the paint. So I think... He'll be better. He'll compliment everybody better. They'll compliment him, and I and I think the team. I don't know if they can beat Cleveland, but they'll be they'll be a better team. So they'll be um, like a sixty something win regular season team. I think we can probably. You think so? Yeah, I mean, I mean they're I gonna win a lot of regular season they, games, man. I guess it depends yeah. who they trade. I mean, they won fifty three last year with Horford injured for a good part of the year and Bradley injured. So and, and Thomas having statistically one of the best seasons of any offensive guard. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's possible that take. they win 60 games. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it depends because they still have, like, their uh, situation up front is still really barren unless Ante Zizic is amazing. You know, they still need to make moves to get someone better yeah. up there. I, I, I keep thinking to that that point you made there, Pina, about, like, if, if you're going to be matching up with Steph or Kyrie. And the larger point for me is that the aging LeBron still plays bully ball the second he sees there's no one to protect the rim. And I, I don't know if that necessarily changes. That's obviously looking into the Eastern Conference Finals, in which case if we can project the Celtics are there, then they've probably had a good season again. Um, 
I, I want to get to this uh, this idea though that the the Eastern Conference was the place to come for him, and the Celtics were just that that destination that was open to get out of the West where things were getting a little bit hairy. Where even if he stayed on Utah, who would have been a good team, uh, that 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 would not necessarily have even meant that they were a lock to be in the playoffs. They probably would. Oh, be. they would have been the playoffs. Sure, no, no question. They won fifty-one games with injuries. I'm but, just saying, with what, pro- six, seven, eight seed in the West, seven, with, four, with five, Hayward, six, seven, eight, something would, like that. With, with Hayward, I think they would have been a top four seed. But the same question, maybe. I mean, you, there's a lot of competition for the spot. Uh, I would have taken them as a top four seed. I don't know what Pina would think, but yeah, I, it's certainly easier in the East. Well, then there's a rebuild component, not rebuild, but you still have to get to that Eastern Conference Finals type team with Miami. So the Celtics felt like the most immediate successful team where his role would be the most complete. So it made sense logically from a basketball standpoint. Then you bring in all these relationship components. And the Brad Stevens one is is obviously paramount to all of these. There's a whole connection to who recruits you, who gives you that first opportunity. There's definitely a chip-on-your-shoulder mentality for going to a place like Butler. Going to -to back-to-back national championship games is unfathomable for a mid-major to do, let alone to have the success that they did to get to both those games um, and lose in a heartbreaking fashion to Duke. You know, obviously the Connecticut game was terrible. But I, I want to ask you if you have any information on this or, or what your thoughts were just on that, that personal level. Forget the X's and O's where the basketball made the most sense. How much of that Brad Stevens personal relationship was the ultimate def- you know, deciding factor here? I mean, I've going back almost six, seven, eight months, I mean, I thought that Hayward was, you know, unless the Utah Jazz made a deep run in the playoffs, maybe got to the conference finals somehow. Uh, I thought Hayward was just a natural fit in Boston, and the connection with Stevens was a big reason why. Um, you know, Stevens is one of the uh, better coaches in the league. Uh, the Celtics are one of the better teams in the league. They obviously have a previous relationship. Uh, I mentioned earlier, just like. I think the their ability to communicate with shorthand um, will be. I think the the adjustment process will be really smooth for him. Um, they kind of know each other's tendencies. Uh, the Hayward kind of talked about it a little bit in his Players Tribune piece, but just you know he somewhere in there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to keep making these jokes because someone needs to it, someone needs to long. give Gordon Hayward an editor. Yeah, it was long. Um, <laughs> But he, he talked about, you know, the need for uh, or the, the appreciation of Stevens giving him space in times when he had to make a big uh, life changing decisions. Um, uh, I was in the Celtics locker room or I should say the jazz locker room, visiting locker room after a Celtics jazz game earlier this season. And uh, I got in there a little bit late and I was waiting to talk to Hayward and I was informed by the jazz PR that he'd already spoken but I just kind of stood around for a few minutes, and Hayward was getting dressed, and he was talking to Shelvin Mack. Uh, both went to Butler, played for Stevens, and um, they talked about how they were looking forward to uh, meeting up with Stevens after the game and uh, maybe grabbing a bite, uh, having a conversation, catching up. Um, so, I mean, the relationship was clearly still there. Stevens was clearly a, an impactful presence in his life. Um so I just thought, you know, nothing, not to take anything away from Utah. I really liked how they've been building the direction they've been trending in. Uh, I just thought that the fit with the Celtics on the court, off the court, was just it was too good to pass up. So let's say they trade Bradley, or I, I would say Marcus Smart is more likely, but you're tighter than I am. 
Uh, let's say one of those guys is probably gone. I mean, I think they could trade Jay Crowder and get something back. I mean, they Lord knows they have holes on that team. You know, so if you could trade Jay Crowder for a young big man and take less salary back, I mean, that would be fascinating too. But let's say, okay, so let's say one of those three players is gone. You have Isaiah Thomas. You have either Bradley or Smart or both. You have uh, Hayward. Uh, you probably would play Crowder at the four or – Maybe you play Horford and start Ante Zizic or some other big buy you get. Um, is that like Ben? You were making the argument earlier that as good as Hayward is, like that doesn't really change the calculus that much for Boston. Do you- yeah, I mean, I think it just augments what they do a little bit. Like he's a, a better player than well, two things. I think you're looking for growth from Brown and, and Tatum. So part of this yeah. is going to make sure that they are still a part of the offense, and, and it, again, it's a it's a flow, an ebb and flow to the system they're going to play. It's going to make sense. There's going to be lots of passing. But it, it, Thomas is still a ball stopper and, and is not ball stopper necessarily. Ball but dominator. Ball dominant. Ball dominator, exactly. Um, and one of Hayward's best attributes is he's a, he's a really good pick-and-roll distributor as well. He runs the pick-and-roll real well because he has a really nice mid-range jump shot. Pino, you touched on the fact that he shot a lot of mid-range jump shots in Utah. It's going to be a little different, but he still likes to be the primary ball handler on the um, pick and roll. So I think he'll actually run a mean pick and roll with Horford. I think that'll be a pretty pretty good one now I'm thinking about it. But I guess the point I'm trying to get to is like, how do you both simultaneously grow these younger players into the stars you want them to be, um, who might also be pluses in other ways? The physicality and athleticism of Jalen Brown seems to be pretty tangible at this point. Although he was playing against a bunch of summer leaguers the other day, oh, he was awesome the other day. Yeah, it was really. He, was really he's going to be good. Like, it was really good of Ainge to play a guy who played in the Eastern Conference Finals significant Jesus minutes Christ, in the ben. summer league game. <laughs> yeah, um, ben is such a such a hater. <laughs> no, I was just um, we're trying to figure out who's going to make a roster, not not yeah. a, not so, like how does Jalen Brown play against okay. some like European ten day contract. Okay, fine. So all right. all right, so you don't think they're that appreciably better? Like Pina, would you would do? Can you, I assume you're going to push back on well, that. I told you I think they're going to win 60 games. No, I, I know, but pretty... you're saying like it doesn't change the calculus much in the grand scheme of things because, it's it, it like you said, it only augments what they already do. Yeah, I think they're going to be a better version of what was already a good team. Do you agree, Pina, or do you think that, they're, that we're underselling them? I actually think that they could take a step back in the regular season. Hmm. Um, you know, continuity matters and, and losing Kelly Olenek, who is a valuable player for them, uh, and really, you know, he unlocked a lot of things with regards to how they want to play. Um, losing him, losing another rotation piece. I mean, that matters. I think depth is a big reason why the Celtics uh, have had so much sex- success in the regular season over the past two years. Um, but in the playoffs, I just think, you know, we saw the Washington Wizards basically triple team Isaiah Thomas, even with uh, a guy like Al Horford and his gravity mm-hmm. uh, impacting their offense. I-, I think when you have a guy like Gordon Hayward, who he is exceptional uh, as a pick-and-roll ball handler. He's incredibly efficient scoring in those sets. But, I mean, he's really good cutting. He's he's such a uh, an underrated lob threat. The Jazz ran so many of these ATOs where mm-hmm. um, they would, you know, toss him lobs. The and backdoor lob could, play with Joe Ingles is one of my favorite set plays of the year. <laughs> yes, and I anticipate with a passer – like Al Horford on the floor, I anticipate, uh, you know, very interesting wrinkles similar to that. Um, and, you know, you're just you're not able to triple team someone like Isaiah Thomas with, uh, let's say, Gordon Hayward's uh, looming in the weak side corner. 
you can't really just drift up, drift off him like you can someone like Jay Crowder. I mean, he's always a threat to run off a pin down. He's a threat to cut back door to to slice uh, down the baseline. I mean, uh, and he's a, a capable three point shooter who can space the court as well. So I, I think he's incredibly complimentary. Uh, he'll reduce. Uh, the stress on Isaiah Thomas. Uh, and, you know, there are situations, I think, now where, uh, particularly in crunch time, when Thomas's uh, defensive limitations turn into open wounds, I think with someone like Hayward, you can play him as a primary ball handler, maybe bench Thomas for stretches and not really get gutted as, as they did last year. Like yeah. whenever Thomas sat That's last season, point. they were terrible. Right. They're um, going to be an awesome offensive team yeah their offense should be yeah. great um like top if they're not two four. second or third yeah, in the league four probably, yeah i right? think it would be a big disappointment like, but i can gonna, think of the four teams by heart in my head right now uh, you got what cleveland golden state and houston, houston yeah. well we'll see about houston with chris paul but yeah they should be right up there with yeah. them they're gonna be great i like the idea that and this is probably i don't know not a counterintuitive notion to to why you sign extra good players but they might have a better team or a better unit for beating cleveland with Isaiah on the bench, being the guy who comes in and then you know puts up big numbers, still plays his twenty or thirty-five minutes or thirty minutes game, whatever. But in that crunch time unit, when you want to put someone larger on Kyrie, um, and at the same time still have positional flexibility to switch on LeBron, that might mean Isaiah Thomas on the bench. But now you can get away with that because you'll still have, like you're saying, that kind of lead scorer distributor. Yeah, and the point about. You know, Jake, nobody guarding Jake Crowder, and now you have to guard Gordon Hayward as a, a stew. And I actually sure. think Hayward, we're going to see how good he is this year because Utah played so slow that I think his per game averages are going to actually bump up with Boston. With protection on defense, though, which is a part of this. Like, yeah, and he's a, a really good defender. Maybe not totally. like a lockdown, like, you know, oh, that guy, let's throw him at LeBron defender, right, but he's right. terrific. I think he's underrated, and we're going to see how good he is. The, the big question I have is, you know, what do they do with the rest of the roster? Because they, you know, they have. N- up front, they're really thin. Like they need someone to play the Amir Johnson role, play twenty twenty five minutes, grab some rebounds. Defensive rebound is still a major issue. It'd be physical. Yeah, that's a, a major issue. Yeah. And if you trade one of those three, you're going to have to trade one of those three players we talked about, and you're going to have to replace them. And so I'm really curious to see. They don't have much to fill out the roster. They have what, Mike? The room exception, right? Yeah, it's it's limited right now. Um, they have they have the room accession, which I believe is what four point three million. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I thought they could get someone like uh, Caspi with that, and uh, we saw where he went yesterday, he's which is so, a totally different discussion. He's gonna be so good on that. <laughs> oh, so I'm really mad. <laughs> Were you really? Yeah, yeah I wanted I wanted the Wizards to get him, but I mean, he wouldn't have taken the minimum to come to DC. I think right, right. It would have cost more. You take that minimum to get your title. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I, I really want to just quickly push back a little bit about the defensive rebounding. I, I yeah. think with someone like Hayward, I agree with you guys about the front court being thin, for sure. Uh, Al Horford is not a particularly great defensive rebounder for someone his size. Uh, Zizic is a question mark, although I think he'll, he could be the starter on starting center on opening night, um, just because Stevens likes playing two traditional bigs. Um, but uh, w- what the, the big difference this year will be you know, the size from the two through four position. And, you know, they have an ability now to play lineups with Hayward, with Jalen, who I think will be much better. 
on both ends this season. Uh, I think Tatum in a reduced role, uh, he can have an impact. I know rookies are kind of perceived to not be able to contribute, but I think in this environment where they're not asking him to do much, he can be uh, an interesting player. So Mm -hmm. you can have real size on the wings, size in the backcourt, um, really physical players. Uh, You know, a couple years ago when they had Evan Turner, uh, they were able to rebound and play small. And last season, you know, they played basically Marcus Smart, who's 6'4", at the three. That was a big reason why they struggled on the glass. So I think rebounding won't be as big of an issue. Uh, Rim protection could be a different story, but... Uh, yeah, I, I think the defensive versatility with Hayward is is pretty pretty massive. Yeah, I, I like. I mean, you kind of touched on there just a, a bit, but like not um, putting too much on Tatum's plate. But I think that's something that Brad Stevens is really good at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't throw around compliments all the time to uh, things that happen with the Celtics coaching in front <laughs> office. But what he's really good at, and you've seen this, like he got the right amount from Rozier to push his evolution. The same thing with Bradley before that. The same thing with Smart. With Jalen Brown, he he asks what he knows he can get that they can become really good at from a single tool or two tools, if you will, if you're using the baseball analogy, knowing that eventually he can move them into being a more uh, you know five tool player, if you will, to to take the other little parts of the game and make them better. If he sees that hey, Tatum's a guy who I know I can get 12 points from in a relatively efficient scoring sense, we're going to work on the defensive parts of this, you know, team defense and all those things that might take a little longer to learn as an NBA player, he'll get the right amount from Tatum. If that, if that means he needs some scoring to supplement the fact that Brown is going to be more of a disruptor defensively and with rebounding, he's mm-hmm. a lot of, obviously a little bit more raw offensively, like he'll get the best two-headed version of that player. Yeah, um, I, And that's a compliment to obviously. I think Stevens. Brown's going to be real good next year too. Mm-hmm. And I would see, I would, I would think long and hard about trading Crowder to, to make an upgrade Agreed. elsewhere. Agreed. I know he's got a great contract, but I, I feel like you could get something for him. Today's show is sponsored by SeatGeek. Buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that is SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, and that's fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to that action for the best possible value. I have SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the easiest way that I've found to buy tickets. I used it literally two weeks ago. I'm going to see my favorite European soccer team play here in America against, it happens to be the city that I'm from in Philadelphia. So I'm seeing Swansea play against the Philadelphia Union, and I got those tickets and the great experience of buying them through the app via SeatGeek. So I appreciate that. Now, SeatGeek's designed to make your ticket buying experience even easier than ever. SeatGeek saves you time and money by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. It basically does the work for you. And you get to have the most bang for your buck because SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed like we mentioned before. So you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with the confidence you deserve. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals on every type of ticket, sports and concerts to comedy and theater. It's not just European soccer games like me. I'm a nerd. That's just how that goes. So 
We want you to use this, and we want you to use it right away. The best of all is listeners of the Limited Upside podcast can get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code SBNation today. That promo code is SBNation for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. We should talk about Danny Ainge. Mm -hmm. And the first obvious question is, does this vindicate his approach the last three, six months? I mean, I guess one of the things that's weird about this is that the the Pacers kind of messed up his plan to also get Paul George because he needed them to wait. They had to sign Hayward first. I understand that. But, you know, Ben and I were trying to figure this out. Like, if does this vindicate Danny Ainge to have gotten Hayward uh, in your mind? Or, uh, was or there is, any vindication yeah. needed? Or is this just the base level of we were going to get one of these guys? Right. Uh, I think the whole – I mean going back to before the trade deadline, I was an advocate for them to hold on to their assets, not trade for Jimmy Butler or Paul George mm-hmm. for multiple reasons. Primarily, I mean those guys did not guarantee – you getting over the hump of the Cleveland Cavaliers and definitely not the Golden State Warriors. Right. So if the objective here is to sustain championship contention, um, you want to try to have your cake and eat it too by filling up your cap space with someone like Hayward and holding on to those assets. And I don't know when another shoe will drop. Uh, you know, the... The, the, there's players out there, mega stars who may become available at some point over the next couple of years. Are we talking like Anthony uh, Davis, or there's a rumor about Mark Gasol today? Marcus I don't Sun understand. No the, sense. This, yeah, I don't understand the Gasol rumor. Yeah, I was referring. I was referring to Davis, who, <laughs> uh, you know, he's not an option right now, but we'll see what happens a year from today. Um, so I, I thought that the the opportunity to have your cake and eat it too was something that was very intriguing for the Celtics, and you know, it kind of worked. And I will speak real quick to Paul George in that situation. You know, when you're running an NBA team, you kind of hope that all the other front offices will behave in a rational way. <laughs> That's and a very nice thing, way of saying that the Pacers were idiots. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, sometimes, and sometimes they don't. And um, you can't really do anything about that if you're the Celtics. That's true. Well, I mean, that's true. I, I, at the same time, also, you do have to sort of read that situation out. I mean, there was certainly a great incentive to move Paul George soon for the Pacers, whether we agree it was the right move or not. And knowing that, you know, building an offseason plan around, like, the Pacers being patient on that situation may not have been smart. But, it, you know, they also weren't going to give up so much for Paul George, I think, that it would have really dipped it. They still could have eaten their cake. Yeah, it just feels like the the B or C package that the Celtics could have offered would have been way better. I mean, I agree <laughs> with that. No question. Bonus, yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. That, like, there is a, you can't assume that a team is going to act rational, but you also sort of have to look at the Pacers and look at their situation and look at their desire to get them out yeah. of town and kind of figure that maybe there was a good chance they were going to do something like that yeah, with another that's, team. That's true. Um, but, so now, 
one of the things that Ben and I have been talking about a lot that I'm curious to hear about the Celtics' future is that 2018 is a real reckoning for them. You know, with Thomas as a free agent, with Bradley as a free agent, they also prop are going to get a really high pick from Brooklyn. They could get a high pick from the Lakers, but if they don't, they're probably going to get a high pick from the Kings. And I think that signing George Hill and Zach Randolph actually helps the Celtics out there because, you know, they're not tanking this year, the Kings, you know, and if they had tanked this year and gotten a really high pick – then they might have gotten had the upgrade in 2019. And I think the Kings are going to be just fine with a high pick this upcoming season, Mike. Okay, all right. I'm just saying that I think that was good news <laughs> yeah. for the Celtics that they did. Yeah, that. I kind of looked at it as like a net neutral, but yeah, but I, yeah not I mean, a net negative at least. But with all the you know the lack of moves by the Lakers, that for sure could be helping the Celtics there. That, yeah. that might much more uh, situate them in that two through five. So the, this whole idea of running on parallel tracks to be able to have your cake and eat it too. I think it's going to get really interesting next summer. You know, so if you're going to have your kick in you too, what do you do with Isaiah Thomas and Avery Bradley? And are your first round picks, you know, going to sort of really go that far when you're losing that sort of talent present day? So right. that's why I always wondered if they would really shoot for it now and pick a direction. Uh, but but Mike, what do you what's your read on that situation? So, I mean, I think that they can lose Bradley now. Uh, that's a, that's a possibility we've already discussed. Um, with Isaiah Thomas, I mean, when you look around at the league, and I know there's a he talks about hashtag Brinkstruck all the time. He wants to get paid as much money as possible, but I don't think his market is going to dictate that. I mean, everybody talks about how dangerous it would be for the Celtics to throw uh, a four or five year deal of big money at Isaiah Thomas. He's 5'9". He'll be 30 years old when that kicks in. I mean, what other team out there is going to do that? There's not a lot of teams that are going to have cap space, as we've seen. A lot of three, a lot of three-year deals That's true. Uh, have been assigned this summer. So it happened to Lowry. That is, That's, that is also the team Lowry and La- yes. angle. And I, think, I, I do think that Lowry actually is a, is a market setter for Isaiah Thomas. And I think that that deal would be ideal for both sides um it's big money on short years so if you do that and you know you're not locked into thomas when he's someone who can only come off the bench you let guys like jalen brown jason tatum if they develop as hoped uh you know the anthony davis endgame looms above everything uh, there's a lot of st- options in play, including what happens with the Cavaliers if they crumble and you get to the finals and, you know, you match up pretty well uh, in terms of your switchability, in terms of your high-powered offense with the Golden State Warriors. Um, I don't know. I mean, you get to the finals and anything can happen. And so if LeBron leaves to go west or, you know, if he finally sees a meaningful decline, the Celtics are going to be right there. Mm-hmm. That's true. That's all a good point. Um I wonder now also how the trade, the Markel Fultz trade, fits into like kind of this strategy. Where they would they have been better off just taking Fultz, or you know, Ben, you're you're giving me this look. I'm just no, no. I mean, like I, we both watched the, and again, summer league. I'm not going to give any importance to it, but I was just happy with what I saw from. I'm sure you were from Tatum as well. Um, yeah, I was happy with Tatum looked good. Fultz. Yep, yep. But so they both looked really good. Yep. The dra- that trade now in light of getting Hayward in this timeline. I wonder how that also relates, you know, to what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, like, well, I, I, yeah, go, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. Yeah, I just think that that trade, well, first of all, the Celtics say that, you know, they thought Tatum was the best player. So mm-hmm. instead of taking Tatum, instead of taking Tatum at one, 
you trade down and you get an incredibly valuable asset for the future. Uh, there is a potential scenario for them to have the first and second picks in next year's draft. Uh, and, you know, if Anthony Davis is, if, if the New Orleans Pelicans flame out this season where, you know, DeMarcus Cousins looks like he's going to leave um, and, you know, they don't really have a ton of cap flexibility. Ben is muttering under can, his breath. I want to know what Ben, <laughs> what ben is thinking under his breath. <laughs> I think the Pelicans are. Gonna, I think the Pelicans are going to be a, a sleeper good team this year because they're going to be because they'll be healthy. Uh, uh, I don't think so. And with all the Drew Holiday sad you know, drama, but obviously no part of his own. Um, this is gone. a separate topic I want to tackle on a future podcast. But if you're the Pelicans, how much would you trade to switch conferences? <laughs> we think again, right? Um, yeah. Anyway, that's a whole yeah. separate conversation. Yeah. We'll, but we'll okay. have you on when we realign the NBA. Too. All right, uh, continue. I just wanted. I just saw Ben muttering under his breath. <laughs> I wanted him to jump in. Go, go yeah. Ahead. So, I mean, I don't even remember what I was saying, but uh, <laughs> good work. Good work by uh, us. Nice here. job by me. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, you were no, talking okay. about like Anthony Davis looming and the Fultz versus Tatum thing, and uh, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think asset accumulation is, you know, it's it's still a big part of what they want to do here uh, in terms of, you know, maybe they draft the players, uh, use these picks to draft players. So then you have, you know, Jalen in year three, year four, Tatum year two, year three. Um, and those guys make leaps. And I, I also think, you know, Tatum, Brown and Hayward, it's totally conceivable two years from now for the NBA to feature lineups where there's a ton of like-sized guys like that. So if you can have three who are very good, um, I just think it, it makes a lot of sense to do that. Whereas with Fultz, you know, the fit was a little different and for whatever reason, they did not think he was as good a prospect as Tatum. So I, I thought the trade, if Tatum is very, is, is good, regardless of how um, successful a career Fultz has, I think it was a smart move. If, um, if the Lakers had picked Tatum at two, Ainge would have said he had ball number one on his board. They always say that. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, I, I hear what you're saying there. Look, if it made sense with how they wanted to grow this team, if they wanted to kind of have the, the two sides of the coin with Brown and Tatum to, to grow together, then I get it. Um, but there's definitely this idea that this is all built for Eastern Conference and not Western Conference. Like the idea that you're going to have to guard some – the Steph Curry's of the world, the Chris Paul's of the world, um, James Harden, et cetera. There's, these are still matchup issues. Plus, as, as far as I see it, and maybe this is where the next piece they add or whomever it may be, um, I thought if Blake had left and gone somewhere else that maybe you know, DeAndre Jordan would have been down the pipeline. But if you can't protect the rim, LeBron is still going to do what he wants to do. He looks at Horford as a small, a, a tiny guard in his way. Um, he looked at Kelly Olynyk as a tiny guard in his way, and he's a big guy. I keep thinking to myself that there are big men and potentially <laughs> this is where I think the Sixers disruptor niche could come in. And, and look, we're, f- we're far away from the Celtics as a team right now and, and the Cavs. But there's still nobody who I think stands in the way of, of a healthy Joel Embiid. And that's, that's neither here nor there because he has to prove he can stay healthy. But I, I see there, there being a mismatch there. I'll say this um, real quick. Uh, Pina, if, if you were starting this uh, free agency period all over again and – without the crazy draft day Butler trade, and you could have had Butler, George, or Hayward to add to this team, but only one of them, who would you have picked? So all things being so, so you're saying oh, that yeah. you'd have to trade it's, for it's, Butler it's or George. It's all things George. being equal. Trade, free agency, I understand the other two would have been trades, but like you have the ideal guy to complement this roster 
Um, so who's the best player? Well, for the, Celtics, for the Celtics. Yeah, because I think that that's different. Um, I mean, I would probably rank them Paul George, Hayward, Butler. Yeah. That sounds about right. I think that's probably about right, too. This is kind of what we had speculated yeah. earlier on, right? Yeah. George I, just gives you an extra dynamic of being like an elite outside shooter and taller. I, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, I think the gap between Hayward and George for this team is pretty tight. And Butler. <laughs> I, I think Butler, I mean, because of the way he plays, I think that might have been a little bit of a complication. Yeah. But Hayward is really, really good. I don't think people realize how good he is. Yeah, I mean, um, maybe, maybe part of the shine here is that because he's been in Utah, you, there hasn't been that, that media presence put on him. And, and like not that like Indianapolis is like this national media hub, but um, you know, playing in a, in a division or in the Eastern Conference there where Paul George has always been thought of as sort of like the – the kryptonite or someone who can match up with LeBron and he gets mm-hmm. that spotlight he had the first round matchup where in Utah you just don't hear, hear about these guys there is no off the court um, uh, um, you know uh, superstardom or, or celebrity that comes with any of these players I, mean, I don't know how Colbert is in France he could be a legend there yeah I, I think <laughs> I think we're the league is going to see how good more people are going to see how good Hayward is than all of us who watch the Jazz on League Pass, you know, yeah. I think they're gonna, we're gonna, so people are gonna open their eyes. Last questions I want to ask before mm-hmm. we wrap this up: If you're tilting the make a move to help the team now versus you know hold your powder for later pe- pendulum, you know, what balance do you think that should be for the, for Danny Ainge and the Celtics? Like, should it be sixty forty? Try to get better now. Should it be the opposite? Should it be something in, around there? Like, where would you bend that calculus? Uh, you know, I've, I go back and forth on this, but, uh, I'm leaning more so than not towards the future. Um, not too dramatically. I think the present day is just kind of taking care of itself right now. And, you know, I viewed last season as gravy where, you know, I did not expect Isaiah Thomas to be as good as he did. Um, but a lot of people, you know, we, we look at where the Celtics season ended and just kind of assume that they are, after winning 53 games and going to the conference finals, that they are by far the second best team. Um, you know, they easily could have lost in the first round. So I, I don't think that the diff. I mean, their their net rating after the regular season probably was not indicative of a number one seed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that what happened last year was just gravy. You know, they easily could have lost to the Bulls. They easily could have lost to the Wizards. Um, yeah, they should have. Yeah. <laughs> I'll believe for a while, to this day that the Wizards blew that series. <laughs> probably, yeah. I think probably. they really should have won that series. Alas, um, alas, I, you don't get you don't get credit for should haves. Nope. No. Um, I real I real quick. I would just want to quickly go back to the last point that mm-hmm. um, Bed made um, about you know Gordon Hayward is in terms of fit with the Celtics. I, I think. A minor factor, or maybe even a, a larger factor, is that uh, perceived stardom and the ability for him to be a, uh, you know, he's not coming in and stepping on Isaiah Thomas's toes, both on the court or off the court, I don't think. think. It'd be kind of hard. His toes are pretty small to step on. Keep going. He's got pretty big feet. That was a short joke. I'm sorry. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, But, but, uh, you know, Thomas is playing for a contract. And I think if you brought in someone like Butler, who pounds the ball, isolates more frequently than Hayward, uh, that could potentially bubble up into a disruptive situation. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think kind of that's the beauty of the way this team's been constructed is that the the only true, like, at least as I see it, the guy who thinks of himself as an alpha is Thomas, but ultimately his skill set is only as strong as how his team facilitates it, which is playing the defense, setting him up with picks and off-ball opportunities to make sure he's getting space and has the ball in the advantageous positions. The rest of these guys, Hayward, Horford, these have always been like the superstar role players. Like They have every bit of the game. They're, they're fully rounded players. And I think that's sort of kind of the beauty of this team is that you don't know who's going to be your leading scorer night in and night out, but you know someone's going to be able to get you 20-plus. You don't know who's going to be your leading rebounder or shot blocker even, but you know there's going to be guys to try to do all those. Um, try. Try. Well, I only say try from a... I think rebounding is going to be a very team effort, and you saw how hard the Celtics played. I mean, to their credit, even in losing to, to uh, Cleveland, but specifically in the Washington series, that, that series had a feel... Uh, of college basketball where every rebound is contested every loose ball there were guys flying on the court Marcus Smart sort of like the catalyst for that mm-hmm. um, I thought the Celtics really fed off of his well, let's um, see physicality on the team. right well not just on the team but getting minutes to impose his will because mm-hmm. you know ultimately that scrappy underdog mentality the Cavs were supposed to win the East etc that's kind of what helped propel uh, this Celtics team and and so uh, last year at least, and now there's going to be a whole different mentality, which is they're going to be the ones at the top. They're the ones who sign the big free agent, who have mm-hmm. this bright future ahead of them. We don't know where Cleveland's going. They don't have a general manager. Will LeBron be there in 2018? <laughs> um, these are all like the, the question marks and sort of like the, the, that learning curve has really changed. Um, and so I'm interested to see um, when the, the hunter becomes the hunted, uh, how that works. So, um, but um, again, there are very few storylines that are going to be happening in the Eastern Conference this year, um, and this hopefully will be one of them. Will be you know, can the Celtics make the Cavs try in the regular season? Can Toronto and and Washington uh, maintain their you know their grip on that top four there? And then everything else is just going to be kind of a crapshoot. So uh, it's it's certainly probably good for Hayward to be out of that Western Conference, and um, and probably uh, good for you Celtics fans. And congrats. The fan side of you, Pina, I want to say congrats. You just got a really fun player to watch. Now, you can go back Thank to being you. the objective national <laughs> vice sports writer if you'd like. <laughs> none of us, that, none of us of are objective. <laughs> are you kidding me? I'm super objective. Sixers now, um, with all these moves, will be the – honestly, though, realistically, guys, do you, do you think the Sixers now are a pretty much a, a playoff team? If things could be. I mean, who yeah. else is – yeah. the East is so bad so after bad. the top five. Like, it, it – like Charlotte, Charlotte slots in now as like a definite playoff team. I don't, I don't <laughs> think there are any definite anything yeah, down there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Anyhow. Mike, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, enjoy Gordon Hayward uh, taking us through some of the big questions. You should also check out our podcast on the Paul George trade with Whitney Metworth and Caitlin Cooper. And thanks to SeatGeek for sponsoring the show. Any other thanks we got to give? That's basically it. Pina, thanks for always taking the time to join this uh, this shitty little limited upside podcast here. Guys, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> nice, man. Um, have a great rest of your summer here. We'll have you on uh, probably at some point in the uh, Celtics preview time period where we can yeah, get around all, then. We can get all excited about how uh, how Brown's played in the uh, next five summer league games he he attends. <laughs> um, ben, you can't. I'm help just yourself. kidding, man. I just totally, <laughs> you totally can't help yourself. Totally ridiculous. You don't see Ben Simmons out there, and no, I'm just kidding. It's because we got to protect him. Probably should. Sure. <laughs> uh, to stay healthy. <laughs> uh, all right. Till next time, everybody. This is the Limited Upside Podcast. Thank you.